Chapter One of Yankee at Molokai. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Yankee at Molokai by Eva K. Betts. Chapter One A Gymnasium Comes and Goes. Ira Dutton ran down the street. When he reached the house, instead of taking time to open the gate, he vaulted over it. But then, instead of continuing his rush right into the house, he suddenly stopped and stood lost in thought. Ira, we don't need statuary in the front yard. Come in the house and tell me what plot you're hatching. Oh, mother, grinned Ira, I think I'd make a very handsome statue. And how did you know I was planning anything? Oh, come now. You usually dash home from the store with all speed, fly into the house, and ask what's for supper, as if you hadn't eaten in a week. When you come down the street and into the yard with your usual rush, but then stop and freeze, I know it's not because you have homework on your mind. You're right, as usual, admitted Ira, following his mother into the house. Mother, you know I've been getting that magazine, The Gymnast, for quite a while. His mother, taking socks from the darning basket, nodded. I've learned about all I can from that, and I like it. Today Mr. Allen moved all kinds of gymnastic equipment into the building across the street from the store, and he's going to have a real gymnasium with classes and everything. I'd like to join. There was a moment's silence. Ira held his breath and wished as hard as he could that his mother would approve. I don't see why not, Mrs. Dutton said at last. You mean I can? Of course you can. I mean you may. How are you doing in your English classes, Ira? Ira's face clouded. All right, I guess. But I still don't like the school. I don't see why I have to go to any school. I did all right when you taught me. Your father wants you to go to Janesville Academy, and I am busy with your brothers and sister anyway. Ira grunted. All his early schooling had been given him by his mother, who had been a schoolteacher before her marriage. She was a woman who, while never permitting slackness, had the gift of making lessons exciting, interesting, memorable. Ira's grammar schooling had all been with her, and besides teaching him the academic subjects, she had taught him how to study. So, although he had rebelled at his father's insistence that he enter the academy, he had done well there because his mother had taught him how to see what a problem was and how to attack the solution. But he still didn't like school. Are any of your friends joining the gymnasium? Mrs. Dutton asked. I don't know. Mr. Allen really hasn't got things started yet, you know. But I believe they will. There's quite an interest in gymnastics around here. I hope it won't cost a great deal. You must save your money to use when you are ready to go to college. I wonder. You wonder what? I wonder if I'll be going away to college, if the country should be at war. Ira, don't even think of such a thing. It's true that the slave states are being troublesome, but certainly it would never come to a question of war, of state against state, even brother against brother. Ira made no comment, but he felt none of his mother's conviction. She lived a very sheltered life, busy with her husband, her children, her home. Ira, on the other hand, had been working since he was ten, first with the Janesville Free Press, and then at Sunderland's Book and Wallpaper Store. 
At work and at school, he heard more talk of what it was going on in the world than did his mother. They sat for a moment in companionable silence. Ira, I think you must have teeth in your heels. These socks look gnawed, not just worn. Maybe I have. I'll look tonight. Oh, mother, I didn't show you my autograph book. He jumped up and hurried to the table where he had laid his school books when he came in. Look, isn't it a beauty? I should say it is. I never saw such a handsome one. You did a splendid job binding it, Ira. Mr. Knox, the head binder at Sunderland's, helped me. He's very kind. Mrs. Dutton was leafing through the pages. Where is the parchment Mr. Wired gave you? she asked. In the middle. It was big enough so I could cut off the writing on it and still have a double page from it. There was writing? Yes, Mr. Wired said it was the bottom half of a patent issued to his father. It had President John Quincy Adams' signature and that of his Secretary of State on it. Oh, and Attorney General William Wirt, too. Perhaps you should have left them on, Ira. It would be sort of nice to have signatures like that in your book. I could have kept them, I suppose, but I wouldn't want them in the autograph book. It might look as if I was pretending that they had signed the book for me or something. I see your point, his mother agreed, content that she had been able to teach honesty, among other things. Iris spent a restless night and found it harder than ever to concentrate on schoolwork the next day and for the first time since he had worked in the bookstore, he was pleased to have the end of the workday arrive. He was bursting with anxiety to get to the gymnasium and start working out under the direction of a professional. Perhaps because his home had been his school for so long, perhaps because he had begun working early and so had been thrown largely with adults. Whatever the reason, Ira was rather diffident with people of his own age. He wasn't shy. He was not self-centered enough to concentrate on what people might be thinking of him. He was friendly, really, but never had made any particular efforts to get to know his schoolmates. The opening of the gymnasium changed that. Hi, John, he would beam. Have you heard about the new gymnasium Mr. Allen has opened? It's got everything in the line of equipment. You should join. He had a good deal of success in getting recruits. Men of all ages flocked in, too for the art of gymnastics was a fad that was sweeping the country. Ira was elected secretary for his own group and was its most enthusiastic member. Each afternoon when he finished work, he would hurry to the gym for a session with weights, pulleys, bars, and vaulting horse. On the evening when his class met, he was always the first to arrive. One evening when he was especially early, he found Mr. Allen, head in hands, staring at the paper on his desk. Good evening, Mr. Allen. Hello, Ira. What's the matter? You look bothered. Anything I can do? I'm afraid not, Ira, but thanks for the offer. It's been real pleasant knowing you. Mr. Allen, you talk as if you were going away or something. Well, the gym is going away. Let's put it that way. I don't understand. My father set this place up for me when I assured him that it would be a money-making proposition. He didn't think it would be, and he was right. Iris' eyes widened. Aren't people paying up? People aren't coming, or hadn't you noticed? Aren't coming? Why, half the men in town joined the very first week you opened. That was the first week, Mr. Allen grinned weakly. The gym was a novelty then. 
and all the fellows thought there was some kind of magic in the equipment. I guess. They expected to get good muscular development without any particular effort on their part. But don't they get fun out of coming? Evidently not. Not enough of them, anyway. Week by week, the membership has been falling off. Just think of your own group. Ira considered the matter. John Hot doesn't come now, but he said he has to get ready for exams. And Bob... Everyone has some reason, Ira. No one has said right out that he's disappointed or finds it too much like work. But the fact is that I'm losing money steadily, so I'm going to sell off the equipment and close up. The words were a blow to Ira. But what are we going to do without the gym? The same thing you did before it was open, I guess. Ira felt no zest at all when he went to change into his gym clothes, and he started his usual warming-up routines in slow motion. But suddenly he got an idea. As the wheels of his brain spun out details of his plan, his physical activity speeded up until he seemed to be flying around and spitting sparks like a pinwheel. As the other boys drifted in, he observed more carefully than usual. He realized that Mr. Allen was right. The membership had dropped very considerably, but he felt that there were still enough interested workers to make his plan practical. As opportunity came, he talked to the boys one after the other. Mr. Allen is going to sell off the stuff and close the gym, he would begin. If he saw proper dismay on the face of the boy to whom he was talking, he would continue. I wonder if some of us couldn't get together and buy it. Do you think we could run a gym when Mr. Allen can't make a go of it? I don't mean to run the gym as a business. I mean to have it for the use of the ones that buy it, like a club, Ira would explain. I don't think we could raise enough money. Stuff like this costs a lot. Well, we could see if some of the guys that come other nights would like to join in. Suppose we did get enough to buy it. There would be the rent to pay every month. We wouldn't have to stay here. We wouldn't need a place on the main street since we wouldn't be looking for customers. Gosh, Ira, you never give up, do you? When you get an idea, you're like a dog with a bone the way you hang on. If the idea is a good one, why not hang on? grinned Ira. Well, how about it? If you can get enough so the assessment won't be too big on each of us, I'll be glad to go along, and I suppose we can pay regular membership dues to take care of the rent, if it's not too high. We'll figure it out all right, and Ira would go off to the next prospect. By the time Alan had wound up his various affairs, money had been raised to buy the equipment. A new low-rent room had been located, and the gymnast's new club was ready to operate. Ira was very happy. But before long, Janesville was buzzing with excitement. The little Wisconsin town was to be honored by a visit from the world-famous Chicago Zouaves, the wonderful quasi-military group that had caught the fancy of the country. They are all so big and handsome, and those costumes, sighed the girls. Their marching maneuvers can't even be attempted by any other group, said the men. Captain Ellsworth has certainly trained that outfit. The way they go through the manual of arms is like nothing you ever saw, the boys told each other. It takes muscle to go through that the way they do, and on top of that they march, and then end up by scaling a twelve-foot wall. Twelve foot? My father saw them, and he says it's fourteen foot if it's an inch. The wall grew in height as the time for the Zouave's appearance drew near. Their personal attractiveness brought swoons. 
When the night came for the Zouave exhibition, few people were in their homes. The aged and the infirm who stayed behind were swamped with children to mind. Only the very old who didn't want to go, and the very young who had nothing to say about it, did not attend the amazing exhibitions of the world-famous Chicago Zouaves. Those who went were not disappointed. All they had heard about the Zouaves was true. There was the sound of one foot when many feet hit the floor. The muskets were held at the charge, none wavered or lagged, none was a fraction of an inch higher or lower than the others. Their marching back and forth, lines interlacing, interweaving, entwining, suddenly becoming the spikes of a wheel, only to dissolve from that into a hollow square, was a breathtaking exhibition of training and coordination. It marked the end of the gymnasium as a club. For Janesville, like almost every other town in America, decided that it must have its own zouaves. Ira joined them, but he kept on going to the gym. He and, at first, a handful of others. But one by one they disappeared, until it was Ira's own private gymnasium. The year 1860 offered a good many topics of conversation. The boys sang John Brown's Body, while their fathers discussed more seriously the uprising of the year before at Harper's Ferry. A few of the men had been in Chicago when the train went through carrying the first Japanese ambassador, which naturally made them authorities on the Orient and Orientals. And there was, of course, the coming presidential election to decide every time two or three men got together. But, above all, there was the slave question. That was the problem to which each citizen was sure he had the answer. On November 6th, Abraham Lincoln was elected. It seemed as if every day after that, Ira would rush home, breathless, with some news bulletin. Mother, the rebels tried to seize the arms and ammunition at Fort Moultrie. Arms and ammunition? Do they expect war? It seems so. They'll find us ready if they want it. Mrs. Dutton's face grew sad. When will men ever learn that war solves nothing, but instead creates new and awful problems? On November 18th, the Georgia legislature voted to raise $1 million to arm the state. On December 20th, South Carolina seceded from the Union. In spite of the disturbances in the world, Janesville went about its business. Ira continued his gymnastics and his drilling with the zouaves. Tall and handsome, he had in him an evident ability to lead others and to get the cooperation of those he led. These qualities were evident to the minister of the church the Duttons attended, and he asked Ira to take a young people's class in the Sunday school. Although he seemed quiet and reserved, the class took to him, and the attendance was better than that of any other. Ira has something about him which draws everyone to him, said the minister to Mrs. Dutton one day. He is a good son. Mrs. Dutton was not much given to praise. He is a fine Christian and a fine American the minister went on. Thank you. I have tried to teach him to honor his God and his country. The time was growing near when Ira would honor his country by serving her. End of chapter 1